and you're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. Good morning, Bent Tree. How's everybody doing? Well, my name is Hunter Wiley. Um, I am one of the pastoral residents here, um, and I am just extremely grateful to be here this morning with you. Um, if I have not had the privilege of meeting you, I'd love to meet you. I'd love to shake your hand. I feel like I know a good portion of people even in this room, but um, would love to would love to meet even more of you. So come shake my hand. Um, we'd love to meet you. I've been coming here to Bench Tree with my wife, Megan, and my son, Malachi, for about the last year and a half. And we really just love this church. Like we love this body of believers. We love the encouragement it's been for us. Um, we just, we love all of y'all. So I'm just thankful for this church. Um, for those of you that don't know, the pastoral residency is really just a time where Paul and, and some of the elders uh, every Wednesday night for a couple months would just pour into me and, and a couple other men. And so good. It, just several hours of us being encouraged and convicted and, and preaching and the whole thing. So that's why I'm up here. That's why I have the privilege of, of preaching and I'm so thankful for it. I've preached at a handful of different churches and different ministries, um, but it's been an absolute honor and gift to be under Paul's leadership. Um, that man has just recklessly poured into myself and my family, um, and I'm just forever grateful for that. And, and really, at this point, the more time that I spend with Paul, the more I have this like urge to buy Hawaiian shirts and grow my beard out. <laughs> like, my wife is always like, what, what, what's, what's going on over here? And I'm like, I just want to look like Paul. I don't know, you know? So pray for my beard, that it grows. Um, <laughs> I feel a deep sense of gratitude and excitement to be able to preach. I'm like a kid in a candy shop. Like all, all week I've been like, man, I'm just ready for Sunday. I'm just ready to preach. So I'm pumped. Um, I'm, a, I'm a kid in a candy shop. So I've always been a preacher that, that really appreciates and asks for some affirmation. So like throughout my sermon, I'm going to be like, hey, can I get some amens? Don't be shy with me. Give me some amens. Give me some come on somebody's. Some, oh, that's a good word. I'm all for it. So I'm going to be asking for it. Don't be shy with me. <laughs> this morning, <laughs> amen. Thank you. This morning, we're going to be unpacking James 1.4. So if you have your Bibles, just go ahead and go to it. Um, this is a few verses back from where Chris preached last week. Um, and man, James is just such a convicting book in the Bible. It, it was most likely written to Jewish Christians. And these Jewish believers had been displaced from their homes really as a result of persecution. And I love the way that the author is really a no-nonsense type of guy. Like, he's not super interested in your profession of faith. He's more concerned about your practice of faith. And I love that. And so as we dive into it, um, use that as context and as a frame of reference um, as we dig in. Let me, let me pray for us real quick, and then we'll get to it. Christ, would you be magnified this morning? Would you be near? Because um, you are good. You are holy. Thank you for this church. And would you let anything that is of me be pushed to the side? Let it fall on deaf ears. W- would your spirit reveal truth? Get me out of the way. Help me be in line with you and your word. Um, and would you be further glorified tonight, Lord? Amen. Amen. All right, y'all. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to James 1. And, and if you're able, I'd love for you to stand with me just out of reverence and really just delight in God's word. So stand with me. We're going to read the whole thing, the whole thing in context, which is James 1, verses 1 through 7. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith 
produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Amen. You may be seated. Praise be to God. Well, like I said, this is the broader context, but we're going to be super dialed in on one verse out of this context, and it's James 1.4. I'm going to read it again just for one more time for clarity. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's so funny. The King James Version, when I read for the first time the King James Version of this, it says this, but let patience have her perfect work. And I literally laughed out loud the first time I read that because of course, patience is personified as a female. Like men and, men and patience just don't normally go together. And I just thought it was so funny. <laughs> but I'll be honest with y'all, putting together this sermon, um, this was hard. This was like really hard for me to put together. Um, not because it was hard to exegete or like put the words to paper, but really more so because it was convicting. Like I, I don't always have a steadfast faith. I don't always feel complete. I don't always lack nothing. And so I just been feeling convicted even as I'm preaching this and as I was putting this together because this last season for me and my family has just been tough. It's been chaotic. It's been hard. And I've, um, on multiple occasions, confessed to my wife, like at times I feel like I'm being tossed by a raging current. Um, and although I'm fully submitted to Christ, I, I regularly let my emotions lead based on my circumstances. And, and the world tells us to do that, right? Like, lead with your emotions. Culture tells us to, to, to let our, our emotions, let our heart lead. Like, just follow what feels good. Just do what feels right. But, but God is calling us to something higher, something greater, something holy in this verse. And, and so we have to ask the question, what does this mean? Who is James talking to? What was James trying to convey? What does God have for us in this verse? And I think to understand that question, we have to break this verse up in a couple different sections in two. So I'm going to split it in half, and we're going to look at the first half first. And let steadfastness have its full effect. The word steadfast can be a reference to the previous verse, James 1, verse 3, because it gives some context to what steadfastness we're talking about. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect. So in order to have steadfastness, we need to be tested. Our faith needs to be tested. Charles Spurgeon, 19th century preacher, one of my favorite guys, dead guy, but one of my favorite guys I love reading. This is what he has to say on this verse. The man who truly possesses patience and steadfastness is the man that has been tried. What kind of patience does he get by the grace of God? First, he obtains a patience that accepts the trial as from God without a murmur. Calm resignation does not come all at once. Often long years of physical pain, mental depression, disappointment in business, or multiplied sorrows are needed to bring the soul into full submission to the will of the Lord. After much crying, the child is weaned. After much chastening, the son is made obedient to his father's will. By degrees, we learn to our end our quarrel with God and to desire that there may not be two wills between God and ourselves, but that God's will may be our will. Man, this is, this is coming from a man that was no stranger to trials. He, his church burned down. The guy regularly just couldn't get out of bed. Like he was just so depressed. 
Yet he consistently and passionately reigned to Christ and, and aligned his will with God's will. And I couldn't agree more. And as believers, I believe God is calling us to two things in steadfastness, to pray and to stay, to pray and to stay. I'm going to say it like a million times today. So you're going to be well acquainted with those two words. Uh, when trials hit, we pray, we stay. And, and I know this sounds like a little bit Christianese or maybe like a little bit cheesy, but I, I want to break down why this is profound because sometimes simpler is better. Sometimes it's just easier and it makes more sense. And so to start off, we pray. Like that's what we do as believers. That's our response. And some people use prayer as a last resort. But let me tell you something. As believers, it's our first stop. It's our first stop towards steadfastness. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my favorite theologians, he says this about prayer. Above all, always respond to every impulse to pray. Always. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. So never resist, never postpone, never push it aside because you are busy. Give yourself to it. Yield to it. It's convicting. It's convicting for me. Because clearly as old men of the faith, their first response is prayer. Jesus's first response is prayer. And our response as, as believers should be prayer. I heard Pastor Paul once say, prayer is not to change God, it's to change us. And not just hit home. Because you want to look more like Jesus? Well, make prayer your default, especially in trials. This is how godly men and women are formed. Like in, in the late hours of the night or in the heat of the moment, in the pain and the grief, the big and the small, looking to King Jesus in prayer and submission. That's the call as Christians, yielding to prayer. Because let me tell you something. The second that you start straying away from that, the second you start straying away from an intimate conversation with God, we're running to something of the world. And either God is molding us or the world is. And prayer is that one funnel in which we are choosing the creator over the creation. Are you all with me on that? That's all that prayer is, choosing God above everything else. And that, my friends, is the way that God forms us through prayer. And so James gives us an indicator of what to do next, like literally the next verse, James 1.5. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask. And it seems so simple, but you can just interchange the word, the word wisdom with just about anything else. You just need to simply ask. Like if you're lacking confidence, in your world right now, God is asking you to ask. If, if you're lacking hope right now, God is asking you to ask. If you're lacking at all, anything, God is asking you to ask. And this might seem like simple, but this is profound. That the God of the universe, who's perfect, holy, omniscient, omnipotent, wants to commune with us. He wants us to ask because he wants to see where we're going to run to in times of need. Amen? And I know I keep quoting people that you probably have never heard of, but I'm going to do it one more time. Um, this last quote really hits home and, and wrecks me. It's from Matthew Henry. When the work of patience is complete, it will furnish all that is necessary for our Christian race and warfare. We should not pray so much for the removal of our afflictions as for wisdom to make a right use of it. I don't know about you, but how often am I, how often are you praying that God would make right use of your pain and sorrow. 
This is, this is a paradigm shift for us. This is a, it's a shift for me. So we looked at one side of the equation. Like when trials come, we pray and we stay. That's the second part. And we're going we're gonna to lean into it right now. Stay. Or in other words, just standing firm when everything else is falling apart. Like that's just another way to look at it. So as we break down staying, I'm not referring to some like I'm getting dragged behind a horse through the storm. That's not what I'm referring to. I'm talking about like unwavering boldness, unwavering boldness in the midst of a storm. I'm talking about being obedient, waiting on the Lord, trusting the father that he is using all things for his glory, even if you don't see it or understand. It it really just comes down to this. It, It comes down to believing God is who he says he is and abiding in that truth. Staying steadfast looks like a lot of things. Now, here's some examples from my world and others that I know. It looks like taking a deep breath after you just received horrible financial news. Praying that God would be glorified and staying calm and collected because as believers, our top priority is not money. It looks like taking the time to pray for the man that just slammed into your car, praying that God would draw near and staying content in the chaos of a car accident. It looks like preaching to yourself at 2 a.m. in the morning with a screaming baby, or you're five years into an unhappy marriage, or you've prayed for the millionth time for your child who's been rebellious to come home. Or it looks like asking God over and over and over again for him to heal that chronic illness. Praying that you'd remain steadfast, and staying calm when you want to give up. And although we're not quite there yet, someday it might look like preaching the gospel, even though you know you might walk off the stage and potentially get arrested for committing hate crime, for committing hate speech. Praying God would be glorified and and staying obedient in the assignment that God gave you. And y'all, this might feel like a real easy peasy thing, or on the opposite end of the spectrum, it might feel like an impossible thing, what I'm asking you to do, what God is asking you to do. And in either situation, if you're a believer, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, a spirit that can glorify God in the darkness and in your weakness. Amen? So stop trying to bootstrap it and rely on the one who can. We need to equip ourselves with these verses and truths so that we can use it as a weapon to wield. Because if you recall from last week in the verse before this, it's not if the trials come, it's when. And so, and you guys know that, but we need to be prepared. That's my encouragement. It's like be prepared in that because staying is an active verb. It's not something you do passively. God tells us that in Ephesians 6, 11. He literally says, put on the full armor of God so that you might take your stand against the devil's schemes. You just put it on. Like I'm, I'm commanding you to put it on because this is a battle, brothers and sisters, And as we equip ourselves with these truths, we get to just trust. We get to trust that the Lord is good. Trusting that he is asking me, asking you, asking his bride to respond well in difficult situations, to to stay obedient. Is everybody with me on that? Well, let's just continue the back half of that verse four, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Well, Real quick, let's just talk about what perfect, complete, and lacking nothing isn't talking about. This is not saying that we can get to the point in our spiritual walk 
where we are like perfect and sinless and blameless. This is not saying that we can become perfect like Christ. This is like the past, the, the, the perfect Paul Trimble, like false teaching alert. <laughs> like there are extremely popular theologians who believe that you can get to the point in your spiritual walk where you are completely sinless. And I warn you this because this is not something that's just happening in another country. This is, this is happening in our own community. Like this is happening in a church that's in Loveland. Uh, a big charismatic preacher just came and preached um, not too long ago that he hasn't sinned in 30 years and that you can do the same and encouraging the congregation in that. Um, church, this is a false teaching. Christ is the only perfect, sinless, blameless person to have ever lived, period, end of discussion. That's just, that's biblical. But that obviously doesn't mean that we're hopeless. <laughs> Scripture tells us that we have the Holy Spirit who equips us to conquer sin, who we can overcome strongholds through God's Spirit in us. And we have access and power to a spirit that really does grieve when we sin. So what, what does the second half of this verse really mean? Well, the perfect here, to be perfect in this verse, is to be spiritually mature. The, the Greek of this word is pronounced teleon, and it can be referenced a bajillion times in the New Testament, really just meaning mature. And, and this teleon doesn't always come with age. Like there are 88-year-olds who are still spiritual babies. Like you guys probably know some. But this, this is what it looks like. Spiritual maturation comes from time walking intimately with the Lord through tribulation. And I'm going to just say it again because this is real. Spiritual maturation comes from time walking intimately with the Lord through tribulation. Think of a, like a new tree that you might plant in your front yard. You have to have spokes on both sides. It's a baby tree. doesn't have deep roots yet. But part of the way that the tree grows and expands is it has to face some resistance. There, there's some hail, there's some storms, there's some sleet, there's some, it's, it's the whole thing. And Chris was talking about something similar last week because eventually as, as the tree develops, it grows deep roots. And after many years of just being hammered by nature, <laughs> it starts to grow like a big, strong oak tree unmoving in the worst of storms. It, it's really just what Jesus said in Matthew thirteen twenty one. He says, but since they have no root, they only last a short time. But when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And just a real quick like side note, I, I think God gave us trees really just because they make the best sermon analogies. Like yes, oxygen and apples and stuff like that, but like mostly just because they're great sermon metaphors. <laughs> In all seriousness though, Without trials, we would remain spiritual babies, needing spokes on both sides of us just to survive the storm. In other words, needing a pacifier to get us through the storm. And I just said pacifier. Like a pacifier is what my son uses when he has any ounce of pain. Like a couple months old, he's using a pacifier. Like he feels any type of pain. He, he needs it to get through the pain. And and for the unbeliever, the spiritually immature, and sometimes even the mature Christian, we resort to pacifiers to get us through the pain, including myself. Like, I'm talking about pacifiers like Netflix to like just shut our brain off. 
or alcohol just to like numb some of the emotions, the pacifier of just excessive binging on anything to take your mind off of your troubles. It looks like leaning only on your spouse, not on God. It looks like only seeking affirmation from others instead of looking to see who, what God says about you. It even looks like religion, theology, and doctrine, which can easily become a pacifier, literally leaning on anything else other than Christ. And every time I talk about pacifiers, like I've preached this a couple times at different churches, and people get like a little squirmy. And they get a little squirmy because you probably know what yours is. Like you just do. You're probably thinking of it right now. I, I know that I am. I'm thinking how much easier it would be for me to just slip back into an old sin habit that used to give me comfort. Or, or not just simply like in the most mundane level, it looks like ordering some wing shack, some like lemon rub wings, watching a movie, watching a Marvel movie, and just scrolling endlessly on Facebook just so I can literally like get out, get away. And, and there are even some pacifiers that the world looks at and praises and awards. Like, I don't know about y'all, but I, I saw a, the Michael Jordan documentary. And if you know anything about Michael Jordan, Chicago Bulls, you know, like the dude is unreal. Like he, he completely submitted his life to winning a sport. He, he cared about basketball and, and winning above everything else. The guy was addicted really sucking on a pacifier as we look at his life just to get through, which meaning that he sacrifices family, any semblance of faith and everything else. And the world champions and crowns things like that because it's culturally admirable. And, and sometimes church, God just gives you what you want, even if it's not him. And that's not coming from me. That's just straight from scripture. Romans 1 tells us that at times God hands us over to our pacifier, the lusts and desires of our hearts when we choose them instead of him. Stiff-arming God and, and consistently running the comforts instead of the prince of peace. Like you're obsessed with something and, and you use it to numb the pain. Like, here you go. God says you can have it. You only run to the security of your checking and savings account. Okay, like, here you go. You can have more. You can have abundance of resources. You're obsessed with the pacifier of the gym. Like, here, here you go. Like, that perfect body that all, it's all you're thinking about. Like, here you go. You can have it. it. It still won't provide the true peace you're looking for in the midst of the storm. And that's the point that God's trying to show us. And all of these things aren't sinful. They're not inherently sinful. But you have to ask, where is your heart at? What are you clinging to? What are you running to in times of trial? Do you need a pacifier to get through the storm? And, and it begs the question, the question, it begged for me, you know, what can I run to then? If basically everything can turn into a pacifier, what can I run to? I think the answer lies solely in our heart posture. Like there have been times, and this is just me being real and honest. Like there have been times where I've run to theology and accumulation of wealth and excuse me, accumulation of knowledge as a way to numb the spiritual and emotional things that I actually need Jesus and his presence to attend to. And, and there's, on the other end of the spectrum, there's times where I'm, I'm reading a really good book in a really dark season, and it has been my genuine attempt to draw near to the Father. It's all about our heart posture. I think the same can be said for just about anything 
when we're looking at our pacifiers. Like there have been times where I've, I've, I've run to exercise as a vice where it's been sinful. And there have been times where it's been God honoring. Like times where I've gone on a run after a hard day or feeling like I just can't get up. I go on a run asking the father to heal me, asking God to restore my soul, asking Jesus to be near. And by the end of it, just completely delighting in him. And then there is the other end of the spectrum where I'm, I've gone on runs, put my headphones on, blasted music, literally running away from my problems, literally running away from my problems, using exhaustion as the thing that calms my soul down. Both exercises, both completely different heart postures. Is everybody with me on that? Let me just encourage us. Let's be a church that's aware of our pacifiers and our heart posture, really just seeking God, asking God to seek and know our hearts. And I, I would love for Bentry to be a church that's known for our repentance. <laughs> like we're just known for the group of people that is regularly repenting, turning away from our pacifiers and, and, and turning up to steadfastness, letting Christ be our true refuge, letting our unfailing, unchanging Yahweh be our true source of joy. Is anybody with me on that? And, and God is at work in this process, sanctifying us to look more like him. And I just am at, in awe at God's sanctification process. God uses prayer. He uses worship. He uses the word of God. He uses fellowship. And what we're talking about right now, he, he uses this element of trials. Come on. There's something for, for me. I don't know about for you, but there's something deeply, deeply, deeply settling, knowing that God does not waste my pain, knowing that God does not waste my grief, like he uses it. Amen? Well, let's, let's just skip a couple verses ahead in James because he gives us another angle as we look at testing and trials. This is a couple verses later, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast. Blessed is the man. What do you think when you think of blessed? Like when I'm getting punched in the face by life all day and, and, and someone asks me how I'm doing, my first response isn't normally like feeling super blessed because I'm remaining steadfast under trial. Like when we think of blessed, that's not what we normally think about. But James, God is is referencing something different. He, he's flipping the meaning of blessed literally on its head. And I want you to spend some time this week just meditating and thinking about like, what does this mean? What, is that, what does that mean for you? Because I pray that our church would recognize the gift that it is to have our faith tested and to be tested. The, the blessing it is to have the ability to grow in maturity, the ability to be sanctified, to pray and to stay when the storm comes. Do y'all really want to know what the perfect example of a man who set the tone of what it looks like to let steadfastness have its full effect, being perfect and complete, lacking in nothing? The perfect example is the Messiah, King Jesus. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And all through Christ's life, the shadow of the cross was imminent. And, and despite begging God to take the cup of sacrifice, which he knew would cost him his life, he chose to remain steadfast. 
becoming the perfect example of steadfastness when this trial looked like too much. He had his sight set on his father's perfect will, being perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, holding the weight of sin and death in his hands, showing us the truest form of love, the greatest news that the world has ever heard, that Christ died on that hill on Calvary for your sins, that if you would believe unto him, you will be saved. Amen? Isaiah 53, 5 says this. He, he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And and those of us that have trusted Christ, we are healed. We, We are redeemed. We are saved. And that, my friends, is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And, and if you're in this room and, and you're not a believer, like, look at me real quick. Can I just implore you to choose Christ? Like, he's the only thing, the only thing that can save. And, and on this side of heaven, he's the only thing that you can count to to cling on in trials. Amen? This is what we're called to, to, to ultimately show Christ in the good seasons and the bad seasons, to glorify God by praying and staying amidst real trials. James talks a lot about trials and testing our faith. And you may or may not know this, but silversmiths use this word testing because they test silver. Like this language and wording would have been really familiar to them and many original readers of the New Testament. Like they'd read this and be like, oh yeah, testing, I get it. Because first century silversmiths would put a bunch of silver in a pot and then they would heat it up with fire. And after a certain temperature, all the impurities would rise to the top. And the silversmiths would just scoop off all the impurities and then they'd heat it up again and all the impurities would rise and the silversmiths would scrape it right off. They'd do it again and again and again and again. And the silversmiths knew that it was complete and fully refined when he looked down and saw his reflection. God uses a similar process in our lives with fiery trials so that we might look more like him, so that he might see more of himself in us. And through our steadfastness and waiting on the Lord, we are able to become spiritually mature, renewed in his image. Like I I think of some of the gray haired folks in this church and you can clearly see that God has been refining them for years and years. Like yet, yet they continue to be steadfast. They continue to, to pray and to stay. Like you can see it, like in the wrinkles in their eyes and their gray hair and the way that they still have joy and love and the fruits of the spirit. Like we can see it in our own church. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I want to be somebody that is steadfast all of my days, counting it all joy as I suffer well, so that on my final day, God can look down and, and see his image, his reflection and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let me pray for us. Father God, it is a scary, scary, scary prayer to pray to be refined, to do a refining work in us. Yet we want to look more like you, Christ. Help us to suffer well, to be steadfast. Thank you for your good news of the gospel. 
Thank you that you are a God that never wastes our pain. And, and Father, if there are people here this morning who have never heard the true gospel, God, would you let your word and your spirit convict? Would you show how your bride looks different from the world? Would you be stirring in the lost sheep's heart to repent and come home? Come home to a father that is running towards you, ready to throw a feast. And if you're new in faith, I would ask that you would simply pray that God would make you complete, lacking nothing by any means necessary. God, thank you for this morning and your heart for your sheep. You are unfailing and so good. Help us to never cease prayer and to stay strong, bold, and obedient in times of trouble. Be our rock and refuge, Christ Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentry Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit bentreechurch.com.